Sir, said Caspian, will you tell us how to undo the enchantment which holds these three Narnian lords asleep? I will gladly tell you that, my son, said the old man. To break this enchantment, you must sail to the world's end, or as near as you can come to it, and you must come back having left at least one of your company behind. And what must happen to that one, asked Ribachi? He must go on into the utter east and never return into this world. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we are doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Chase. And I'm Kel. Thank you all for joining us. Just a reminder uh, that today we're talking about the fifth book in the series, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. But general spoiler warning for the whole Narnia series, as well as a heads up that we do go on to tangents into other stories we enjoy. We will do our best to give spoiler warnings along the way if there's anything uh, that's treading too close to waters that you don't want to go into. But today, we are discussing the voyage of the Dawn Treader, chapter 14, the beginning of the end of the world. Not, Not the, end the end of the world, Carol. Not the end. Almost the end. This is this is the prelude <clears throat> to the end. Which, which some would say actually you have the just, prelude to the actual end. But couldn't you have just made this part of the end? And we would say nothing, because we don't disagree. But it's, uh, here we are. What an exciting <clears throat> adventure of a chapter. Yeah. You know, as the song famously once said, it's the beginning of the end of the world as we know it. Yeah. Right? Love that song. It's a classic. Uh, but Chase, let me hit us with a summary real quick. The door in the hill opened again and out came a tall old man with a silver beard down to his bare feet, dressed in silver fleece and with a mild and grave expression that brought them all to their feet, standing in silent and he seems to exude light from him. Without speaking, he crossed to the opposite side of the table from his daughter, who we know is his daughter now, uh, and the two of them faced east and began to sing a beautiful, cold kind of song that nobody could quite remember afterwards. As they sang, the gray clouds lifted and the sky began to get brighter. The sun rose and uh, they sang, uh, the sun rose and faced down the length of the table, uh, big, bigger here than they had ever seen it elsewhere, which seems dangerous. It was at this moment that they saw that the sun rise up close that they knew they were really at the beginning of the end of the world. Cutscene, end chapter. Wait, hold on, there's still more. Then something appeared to be flying at them from the center of the sun, but no one, of course, knew uh, could look directly into it, to be sure. And then the air became full of voices singing the same song as the girl and her father, but in far wilder voices and in a language no one could understand. These belonged to the birds, hundreds and thousands of them that arrived and covered everything. In the blur of the creatures, Lucy saw a bird go to the old man, and something in its beaks that looked like a little fruit, or maybe a fiery live coal, since it was too bright to look at. And the bird laid it in the old man's mouth. That's weird. Then the bird stopped singing and appeared to be very busy around the table. When they took flight, uh, the table had been cleared, and all the things that could be eaten or drink consumed, and carrying off the inevitable parts. All that was left were the three old lords of Narnia, still fast asleep under their mops of hair. Caspian asked what they must do to break the enchantment of the sleepers, and the old man said they must sail to the world's end and leave one of their party behind. Reaper Chief asked what would happen to that person, and the old man replies that they must go into the utter east and never return. And Reaper Chief says, bet, I'm in, and no one questions it. Caspian asked if he knew of the seas and lands beyond this, and the man said that he had only seen it from a great height because he's a retired star, because that's a profession you can have. And his name is Romandu, you know, like stars. 
<clears throat> once he reached the end of this t- of his time as a star, he was brought to that island where every day he's brought a fireberry, which exists from the lands of the sun by a bird that takes away some of his age. Once he is as young as a day-old child, he will return to the sky again and start back in that dance. Eustace points out in their world that stars are balls of flaming gas, as he learned from Pumbaa and the Lion King. Romandu says that uh, this is only what they're made of, but not what they are, which is a confusing statement that he doesn't explain. He also tells them that they met another kind of uh, another of his kind, Koryakin, the overseer of the Duffers, was a star, but he remains in that post as a sort of punishment, not because he's retired. But we don't need to go into why, because it's not our story. Why bring it up? Don't worry about it. Romandu asks if they will sail east to leave one behind and free the lords, or if they will return westward. Caspian and Rikuchi both agree that they need to go east, but they worry about the crew and Lord Roop. Uh, Romandu says they need to sail with a willing crew and that he can allow Roop to sleep here with his fellow lords without dream. At that moment, the rest of the crew arrives at the table. Caspian sends for Roop as well. Caspian had the crew sit down and explain the situation, and one man asks how they ever hope to sail back anyway because the wind has been eastward the whole time. Ladrinian said, that's a stupid question, and the wind is about to conveniently change direction for plot reasons, obviously. After talking it out, many agree that they need to complete their mission to the world's end, while some were still hesitant. Lucy asked if Rebuchip was going to say anything, uh, and he said he would even he would go he would be going east even if it meant swimming until he drowned. At this, Caspian jumped up and said they misunderstood anyway. They weren't begging or commanding all of them to go, but they had an errand to the world's edge and would only be taking the hardest in battle, the most skilled sailors, the most loyal, and the best of manners to come along. <clears throat> Not only that. But those who would come uh, would have lands and titles to leave their families. And after this, they turned to the matter of Lord Roop, who had arrived silently. After sitting him down, Romandu stood behind him, laid his hands on his head, and Roop's face lightened with happiness before he went to sleep. Caspian's speech had the intended effect, and the men who were happy enough to get out of going uh, were not so happy uh, about leading left out of going. After a while, they all decided to go along to the end of the world, and Caspian accepted all but the last one who changed his mind who was left alone on the island while they made their journey. What a bummer for him. That night, uh, they all ate and drank together at the great table, where the feast was magically renewed, and the next morning, the Dawn Shredder set sail again. Caspian also made sure to tell the Lady Star that he wanted to talk with her when he got back, because bro's got to spit some game before chapter's over. Always. What if he dies and never got to kind of imply that he <clears throat> to ask her out? I mean... Listen, Caspian is nothing if not swo- like smooth and suave, you know? Bro knows an opportunity to spit when he's got one. I mean, for sure. And as we, as you reminded me last time, apparently this is his future wife. So he knows, and, you know, ring by spring. And, you know, how do, a, how do a star and a human procreate? Don't worry, that's not your story. And we're <laughs> not going to talk about it because this is a family-friendly podcast. Yeah, that's that's the definition of not our story. That is not our story. And if you're wondering, do not Google it, because I'm sure that's a dangerous rabbit hole. Uh, but we need to comment on that any further. Nope. Speaking of that, speaking of stars, Chase, we meet a star. And apparently kinda, we already have. Apparently we already have, but we'll get to him. But right now, we see an old man walking out of a hillside with a silver beard and silver clothes and sheep-like, uh, you know, fleece. And, uh, you know, it's from silver sheep and he's exuding light and, you know, all these things. Like, kind of, uh, oh gosh, is that a Herculean task or is that a, 
is that a psyche tap? Which, which one? Is the, which is the myth where they have to get the golden fleece? That's the golden fleece is uh, the Argonauts. It's a uh, that's Jason and the Argonauts, I believe. Uh, never mind. I'm making that joke. Um, yeah it it was a really weird like just passing. This is a chapter full of like weird passing references that he never stops to really do anything with. No, I feel like this was C.S. Lewis again. You know, we've seen it before. But him kind of like just displaying his literary prowess of like, look how many mythologies and stories and references I know. I'm not going to explain them, but I just want you to know that I know them. Yeah. In case you were wondering whether C.S. Lewis has read other books, he has. He has indeed. Has he written like books that have, you know, good pacing? Questionable. But I am nervous to reread Till We Have Faces at this point because... You know, it's one of my favorite you. books. Now I don't know <laughs> if I trust him to pace it well. You never know. But, uh, you know, one thing that is paced well is the beautiful song sung by Old Man and Daughter Star, uh, who is just referred to as his daughter for now, still not given a name. Women don't need names, Kel. Especially if they're stars. They yeah. Because their names, you know. We may call them by different things and it doesn't even matter. But they start singing to the east uh, and, you know, the clouds move and the sky shifts and uh, the sea begins to shine. And the thing that's most concerning is the sun comes out of the sea and is massive. Like this is like a Bruce Almighty moon, but with the sun, which is alarming. Yeah, arguably would roast them all alive. This is what global warming has been warning us about, Cal. I'm pretty sure, like, we know that Mercury and Venus are significantly hotter than Earth because they are closer to the sun. And if the sun is bigger, that means it's closer. Well, Cal, <coughs> if you've read C.S. Lewis's other books, you'd know that Mercury and Venus are perfectly inhabitable for magical other societies that also have their own Jesus stories. This is true, but that's not our story. Our story. That's, includes... that's his space trilogy. That's actually a thing for listeners who weren't here for the first book it, that we did this for that, uh, that came up a few times. Indeed. Indeed. This Go check out previous podcasts. A lot of the uh, magician's nephew, like yeah. the scene of Narnia creating the world or the scene of Aslan creating the world was by song. That's when the sun and stars came out was singing. So that actually is kind of a cool, like connection to, I believe this book was written right before that book. Yeah. Um, so it makes sense that he would remember to connect that, but it is a, uh, when you put it all together, it's a fun through line. The stars. Is. Sing. Yeah. Yeah. No. So, We've we've alluded to this before, but just to make sure that everyone's aware again, the first book published was Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe, 1950, Caspian in 51, Don Shredder, the one we're currently reading in 52, the next book, Silver Chair, at 53, and then he does some reversing, uh, and he does The Horse and His Boy in 54, and The Magician's Nephew in 55, and then... He ends with the last battle in 56, which is the final book. Yeah. So the current order is 
just obscenely wrong. So he does the publication order versus chronological order. So he publishes in two, four, five, six, three, one, seven. This is worse than Star Wars. It's a little bit more confusing to follow than Star Wars, for sure. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is. And Chase, as our characters are realizing, they have reached the beginning of the end of the world. Which I feel like we realized that last chapter. I thought that was like part of the whole explanation of where they were. Um, you would think. But maybe we needed a whole chapter devoted to just this concept. You're right, Cal. What was I thinking? We don't need plot. We just need more scenery. More scenery that is special. That doesn't really matter. That's again, this chapter, if you want to talk about like we we've mentioned him doing this before, where the like the not so checkoffs gun, he's got a lot of things that he just brings up that will never come up again. Like the next thing that happens is Lucy sees a bunch of birds who are singing with them, singing with the stars. Uh, and that's not a reality show, uh, but they are singing with the literal stars. And one of them comes up and drops what we learn is a fireberry, but it looks like a flaming coal, like a coal that is actively lit into the old man's mouth. And the most explanation we're going to get is later he will say, yes, that's what de-ages me. Yeah, which... One thing that we were talking about before we started the podcast, like that you think it's going to be like a reference to Isaiah chapter six, where Isaiah has a uh, coal placed in his mouth on or on his lips by an angel. And that cleanses him to be able to speak God's word before the people. And like the imagery seems like that's what we're doing here. And then, nope. What if that is a Benjamin Buttonberry? That's like yours would have been cool because, you know, maybe this this star is like, you know, the prophet being able to say like, hey, this is how you go into Aslan's country. Nope. What if just a just a de-aging bear. Immediately after the coal was removed from his mouth, he began speaking with Aslan's voice and told them what needed to happen next. Yeah. Yeah. That could have been fun. No. We should have written younger or a day younger, actually. Yeah. One day younger. How long has he been on this island and how long is it going to take him to get back to his point of like going to be a star again? I mean, he has not been a star since any of them have seen the Narnian sky, I guess. That's true. Cause not even, not even like Lucy and Edmund from the sound of it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's at least been a few hundred years, but we we don't know any of that yet. You know, we're reading. And we come to this point that we alluded to in the summary and that Chase and I talked about off pod to begin with. And it's the quote that we started with where Caspian is asking how they're going to break the enchantment. And the old man star says, okay, you're going to have to go to the end of the world. You're going to have to leave someone there. And then you return. Repo Cheap is like, what happens to that guy? And they go, he goes, you have to return, go into the Utter East, which we don't know yet is Aslan's country, but we will find out that's Aslan's country, and never return. And, and Reepicheep... Never return into the world. Correct. Reepicheep says, that is my heart's desire, which, given the nature and the character 
and personalities of everyone else, you would assume, no, Caspian and Lucy and Edmund are going to go, no, Reap Achieve, we can't lose you. We love you. We like don't don't do this. Oh no, Reap Achieve, but that means we'd never see you again. And then do you know how they respond? All right, sounds good. So how close are we? It's it's shocking for a bunch of reasons. Like this, and then I'll go ahead and bring up the thing that Reba Cheap says later, where he says, essentially, like, if no one else were to go, he would take the Dawn Treader himself as far east, and when that sank, he would take another thing east, and when that sank, he would swim until he drowns. Like, Reba Cheap is kind of dark in this chapter like he he kind of seems like he has a death wish like in a literal sense like he wants to he's ready to pass on yeah he wants this journey to be the death of him like he wants this to be the last thing he does which is weird because i mean we obviously chase and i know this plot point that he is going to go and do this but the rest of the story until this point he has been onward, adventure, excited, honor, you know, for for Narnia, for nobility, for discovery. There has been no hint that he's like, yeah, I'm kind of dead. And not even the Dumbledore quote of like, you know, the for the for the well-organized mind, death is but the next great adventure, which is a great quote. Yeah. He's not even reflecting that attitude here. No, it's just like a weird, like, so there's this thing that happens in more cynical stories than these tend to be. Yeah. Where, like, you kind of have the old hero who has seen so much and done so much that regular life isn't satisfying anymore. Totally. They They have a death wish to charge back into battle because there's done the nothing things. that excites them anymore like it's right. like kind of like a like suicide by adventure to sure i mean you can look at that kind of mentality i mean that 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 mentality shows up in you know game of thrones characters like barristan selmy or you have uh in wheel of time uh you have some characters that are constantly or that are like hey we're recycled and regurgitated back in but i'm ready to you know, meet my rest kind of thing. That's okay. But that's not what he has displayed the whole time. No, it, it kind of feels like he has just gotten there. He just was it like, man, this, this le- maybe he was like us where he's like, nah, this chapter was a lot. And there, it was a, it was a tough one for me to get through. And so I'm ready to be done. Yeah. He's like, honestly, we've lost the plot. So, uh, I think I'm ready. I'm ready. I will take the, I'll take the hit and I will move the plot along by sacrificing my life. Like Clive, go ahead and write me out of this one. Um, thanks Clive. Uh, I'll take the hit, uh, but which this, this chapter feels like a lot of CS Lewis chapters and moments where it's like, he has, these images and moments in his head that he tries to communicate, but yeah. he doesn't have any kind of story that strings them together. He's just like, Oh, wouldn't it be cool if this happened? Not yeah. like, wouldn't it be cool if the story happened? Right. And so that's why you get <clears throat> long scenes of people walking through woods or sailing on the ocean. And it's more about the ocean itself than actually like where they're going. And yeah. 
Like there's the saying that it's about the journey, not the destination. No. Like it, you, it should you be about the destination. Have a destination if yeah. you want people to care about the journey. <clears throat> Agreed. And part of that, I think, comes up with the fact of like this man being this retired star. And because he like kind of introduces this star system in Narnia where he says, My name's Ramandu. I used to be a star. Uh, you wouldn't know me because, you know, I was here way before you and all the constellations have changed. Uh, but then when I got old, you know, I became a star at rest and I chilled on this island with my daughter. Uh, and like I'm being fed these berries and then eventually I'll become young enough to become a star again. And this, you know, kind of cycle repeats why doesn't that doesn't, it's not asked and it doesn't matter. Um, we're going to learn that Corey again, who the wit, who is the wizard on the Duffer Island is also a star, but he was punished. Why don't worry about it. It's not our story. Like not important. And, and it's going like, why introduce this concept of like stars and rotations? Like it's not going to come up in the next few books. It's, it's not even something he addresses in magician's nephew. And it's like, I think it's just kind of so he can make the weird Eustace comment make sense. Cause Eustace is like, well, in our world, stars are just big balls of gas in the sky. Um, and he's like, well, no, that's what they're made of. That's not what they are kind of implying that even in our world, stars have, have personhood. Yeah. Like there's a metaphysical quality to a star. Yeah. That fits into like mythology readings of like even theology, like sure. The morning star of reading the Bible where you view like the stars as having, like corresponds with spiritual beings, but that sure. that there's no point to that in this chapter, other yeah. than to like be a passing comment. So none of it makes sense, is really what I'm saying. None of it matters. Um, it's, it's just there. <coughs> yeah, it's it's definitely just like it's a weird choice, you know, to just go. Here's all these things, but it's not for us, like. To, to quote C.S. Lewis, it is not for you, a son of Adam, to know what faults a star can commit, nor apparently to know the answers to questions that, you know, you seemingly have about this chapter. Is this where the title, The Fault in Our Stars, comes from? I believe so. Yes. I believe Mr. Green uh, was, uh, you know, a big fan of this book. I mean, there was a non-zero chance that, like, that is where... It is greater than zero percent. But who could say? Who who can say? But Chase, it's time for us to move on from this talk about stars and move toward our talk about who is going to join this final quest to venture to the end of the world. Well, Kel, you it won't actually work if you take unwilling sailors with you because that's a twist in the code that i just gave you to unlock the the sleeping dudes that you actually that does willing sailors if you want to break the enchantment not just do the thing that i told you to do that does provide a little bit of a dilemma because our sailors may be a little tired and we also have that guy named root so how are we going to deal with that 
Well, Cal, it's good that you asked what we're going to do about that because all the entire crew just happens to have walked up the hill just at this very moment that's convenient for the plot. Well, good. Let's call them over. Let's have a nice little powwow. Uh, I'm sure this is going to be a really, you know, democratic discussion and not manipulative at all. No. Uh, and it'll be solid. So let's deal with Rook first because his is fair. Let's just say, you know, Raymond Du uh, is just going to say, hey, let's just let bro take a nap. And without dreaming, seems like he could use it. And they go, deal. Let's put him under the same curse as these other three Narnian lords. And then at that point, <clears throat> four out of the seven people that our mission was to find will just be cursed at the end of the world. Cursed. They are they are sleeping beauty having touched the you know spinning wheel. Uh and it's a good thing we have a prince here to uh to kiss them. To make out with them when they're sleeping. Hold on. Yeah. Wait a minute. Yeah. Disney is super innocent. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Don't ask too many questions about that. Uh, but so Roop, they've decided is going to sleep. But these other people, they're raising good questions like, man, how are we even going to get back? Because the wind was only blowing from west to east to get us here. So wouldn't theoretically we not be able to return? And the Drinian's like, shut your mouth. That's a stupid question. Obviously, the wind is going to change for us. Which is, for a chapter that's full of jarring, meaningless moments, this one really got me. <clears throat> because why present the question if the answer is, it doesn't matter? Because like, as a writer, C.S. Lewis is basically assuming that that's a question that the reader has if he's going to bring it up like that he's like well it's weird because the wind has been pushing the boat west this entire time like wouldn't the discerning reader be wondering is this going to be a problem for them getting home no they never would none of us are paying attention to that but for him to put this question into the storyline and then make the answer be well, obviously the wind changes direction immediately when we get done with this journey. So why would you even ask such a dumb question? Yeah. Like, that's a, like, why even bring it up then? Like, yeah. what's the what point a, of this? And Chase, what about our supplies? What are we going to eat? Well, while you're here, you can eat at this magic table. So that should be enough. Chase, they've been on the, on the seas for like months. But Cal, if I buy you one <clears throat> meal, that feeds you for a month, right? That's I mean, how, that's how it works. Maybe if you're eating Limbus bread and in Lord of the Rings, but as far as I'm concerned, ain't no elves in this world. And what if you're a Smeagol and that bread yeah. is super gross to you? Yeah, and you need, you know, fishes and potatoes. Potatoes. But yeah, they're just like, okay, what about these things? And then they go. Don't worry about it. And then they're like, man, it is, we are kind of tired. And, you know, we're not in great spirits necessarily. It's been a long trip. You know, we're, we're volunteers and it's tough. And so we're just, we just don't know what's going to, what's going to happen. Well, Kel, uh, when your volunteers in student ministry are all burnt out and ready to uh, take some time off, right when you need to plan an event. What do you do? I manipulate them, Chase. I say, what would Jesus do? 
and I show them pictures of sad students. Yeah. And I play, you know, Sarah McLaughlin uh, in the arms of an angel with students going, if you don't come to beach camp, this student will die and go to hell. I've been to that team meeting. It's multiple listen, times. Listen, man. That's a joke, I, you know, but it's not a joke. It's it's probably too real, which is a reason why I tell my volunteers after camps and after things like this, you better not do anything students related for like a month. You need to go home and re- like take a break, take a nap. Like you need to breathe and recover because this is a lot. And so these expressions. I'm not a boat captain. Ken. It's a good thing I'm not a boat captain. I'm just a shepherd, you know, just a lowly shepherd of students who are lowly themselves. If any of my students are listening to this, I'm just kidding. You're extremely valuable. But uh, no, so there are all these, you know, these sailors are like, you know, we want to go on, but we're also, you know, kind of tired and, you know, this is like, this is tough. And so they kind of see like half of the people, you know, wanting to play and, or like go on and half of them, uh, you know, wanting to stay back. And uh, it's, it is what it is. And then they, you know, as they're kind of having this debate, Lucy leans over to Reaper Chief and she's like, Hey, aren't you going to say anything? And Reaper Chief's like, this is again, where you bring up the, the yeah. death wish thing. Reaper Chief. Chief has dark circles under his eyes and is staring at the wall and mutters to himself, I would go east even if it meant I drowned. Like, it's it's a thing where, like, in Reepicheep's character, in every other chapter besides this, he's the one going, you cowards, you, you know, yellow bellies, you, like, this is the time for, for us to move forward into honor, into, you know, like, nobility and see what is that what there is to see and like rally the people but right now he's just like listen man to die is gain but doesn't say anything else there is no like you know to live as christ part of this it's just not to die is gain he's just kind of at the end (laughs) he's uh he's he's half of a good bible verse uh and he's just like nah i'm good i finished the fight i ran the race let's get this over with Chap, the book's almost done. Reepicheep knows that if he becomes the moon, they'll have better wind to sail back. Bingo. Uh, but, so that's he's just very, like... That's a very specific Avatar reference for those mm-hmm. who are following that weird comment that I just made. My my last girlfriend became the moon. That's rough, <laughs> buddy. <laughs> Still one of the best lines and moments in all I, of TV. We, one of my roommates has not seen... Uh, the series before so we we're about halfway through uh the earth season right now good. and it's been such a great it's world. so good man if man talk about a podcast we should have done avatar the last airbender i i mean honestly would do but <clears throat> we'll, we'll see where we're at at the end of at the end of the two or three more books that we have indeed indeed but we uh we get past uh emo reaper cheap uh and caspian's like let me play my final card and this is where he really works his manipulation on his guys because basically what he does is he goes oh like i like it's weird that we're even having this argument 
about who's going to come because I was only planning on taking those who are the strongest and the most honorable and most worthy of praise and the hardest working and, you know, the most skilled C men. Yeah. And then the purest in blood, which is questionable. Uh, and then the, you know, most loyal and the, you know, best manners and uh, the people who want to, like when they return, be given titles and land for their families and their descendants and uh, going to have, uh, you know, gold and all these things. And he's like, I was only going to take those people. And then everyone's like, well, hold on. Why are we not like, like the, everyone's immediately like, oh, well, I'm definitely going to go now. But here's the thing, Chase. Why are they not already guaranteed these things? What were they voyaging for? Were they doing this because they owed him a favor? This were is they like, Cal, I was going to pay your paycheck. But now because... Because you didn't uh, work overtime. Yeah, because you decided to take your vacation days. I don't really know if uh, you're really loyal to the team. I mean, we might have to rethink some things. Which, again... Things that you don't want to have happen in real life, but absolutely do. Uh, there's a reason that I am now self-employed. Indeed. And so it's a it's a thing where like this is a it's a statement where you're like the the crew just takes it in stride without question, but they absolutely should of going, are you for real? Like I guess I mean, what were we voyaging for? if not for these things already and like, have we not proved that we are already these people? Yeah. It's like CS Lewis does have a good line about like reverse psychology and how, how it works of like saying that people who were like content enough to get out of going were not not as excited about being left out of going. And it's mm -hmm. like, well, sure. But also, like, is this good leadership? <laughs> yeah. And what it, like, if he could actually sail to the end of the world with just a few of them, why not just take the legitimately willing people instead of having to manipulate your entire population? And do you want people that you had to manipulate? Like, in my experience, if you have to force someone into joining you that person is not going to be someone that you need that you can count on yeah it's uh <clears throat> our, our our buddy scott used to say you keep people with what you get them with like if yeah. it takes that kind of like if someone's not motivated motivated by their own like internal internalized desire to be there then whatever you have to incentivize them with to drag yeah. them along, you're going to have to keep showing up and, and like overdoing that to keep them around. Yep. Agreed. But at the end of the day, they all decide, Hey, we're in and we, you know, <clears throat> we're, we're back and they start sucking up to Drinian and rinse, or at least that's what they called it at CS Lewis's school. Uh, you know, in a little parenth parenthetical aside from the from the author. Uh, and, you know, at the end of 30 minutes, everyone's back at Aslan's table, ready to go on, except for Roop, because he's passed out uh, in a, you know, cursed sleep uh, or, you know, blessed sleep, depending on 
Blessings and curses are just a matter of perspective, Kel. Right. I say everyone. There is one person who decided who changed his mind and decided to stay back on the island while everyone else went away. And his name was Pitten Cream, which is a man. I guess that might that might be the new worst. It's uh, you know, for the best. It's for the best. Honestly, hard to honor a guy named Pitt and Green with land and titles. Man, what a move on Caspian's part. Because it's not just that he decided to stay behind. He decided to go with them, but he was the last person to come around to it. And so Caspian was like, actually, we don't want you. You're staying here, and you're the only one who doesn't get any of this stuff. And then we get like a pretty like side story of just, we get so a picture... We get a future cast of his entire life where they show him like uh, maro- uh, abandoning ship when they get back to the Lone Islands, moving to Callerman, and then lying to people the rest of the life saying he had gone to the end of the world and he lied so much that he almost believed it. Yeah. And it's so sad. It's just, it's so, it's just a bummer. But it's, we, it's, it's kind of <clears throat> great. As opposed to ending with, you know, Pit and Cream uh, and his, you know, sad life story. Uh, everyone, you know, feasts and drinks together before they set out on the John Shredder the next morning. But we don't end this chapter without Caspian spitting some game and making sure that, uh, you know, Ramandu's daughter uh, feels the smolder coming off of his of his beautiful face. And, uh, you know, because he, he goes, lady. I hope to speak with you again when I have broken the enchantments. And Ranmandu's daughter looked at him and smiled. And I like to think swooned, but. My favorite part of that last sentence of this chapter is that it reminds us that we still don't have a name for this woman. Still don't have a name. Because but that's not our P.S. Lewis doesn't really <clears throat> pass the Bechdel test in this chapter. No, and, and really. Like, since Lucy and, uh, since Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe has gotten worse uh, of the Bechdel test, because sure. because even Lucy, who was our stalwart champion of, you know, he, she was our moral compass, is now like, but am I pretty? Yeah, I mean, for books written in the 50s, like, it's Lucy's hard still to great. better, but at the same time, like we've had characters uh, like Erevis in in Horse and His Boy, yeah. So it's like there can be strong, independent women who <clears throat> have their own stories going on here. Yeah, of course, he all also decides to pull the rug on that in the very last chapter of that book to make and her have her get married, actually, too. just get yeah. married to the other main character, but. Outside of that, like she has her own stuff going on. Sure, it's a uh, yeah, it's a. Bump. Hey, you know, you know who's a, a strong female character whose story never revolves around seeking a husband is the White is Witch. <laughs> uh, yeah, the White Witch for sure. Uh, if we've learned anything from the most recent Doctor Strange movie, it's that. Uh, it's that a strong independent woman who uh, doesn't have a husband anymore 
is going to become an evil witch who destroys and everything. Spoiler she doesn't deserve her. anything good. Yeah. Screw her. Yeah. Cast her to that farm upstate. Because fatherhood makes you a hero. Motherhood makes you an evil witch. Makes you a witch. But, like, replace the W. You know what I'm saying? I mean, in this case, don't replace W. Literally a, a all-powerful She's actually an all-powerful like, witch. Like magic, magic wielding person, wizard, but for for ladies because we got to gender everything. Indeed, you know. But we end this chapter with nameless lady star giving Caspian a a wink and a finger guns. Uh, <laughs> this might be me looking into it. Maybe she gives him a blow kiss. She goes and uh, like sends that his way. I think they just stare into each other's eyes longingly as we fade to black and then, or like do a, a white cut into the boat sailing and with the Island in the distance. Cue my heart will go on, but the recorder version. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just the instrumental. <laughs> Zoom. With- I like that noise that you just made. It, it cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> like that's it, probably for the best. Like it fully muted you like the second after you started making it that. heard one note and was like, and we're good. Yeah, we're done here. Uh no, that's probably for the best. Uh but Chase, with that, you know, listeners, we we know that you eagerly look forward to our further ups and further ends each chapter that we do. And we know that that's probably what keeps you around until the end is our, you know, extra commentary on things that are related to other pieces of fiction or the world as a whole. But this time we just, we're going to be real with you. We stretched this chapter about as far as it could go because nothing happened. Yeah. There was no story to this chapter. And if you don't have any themes to comment on, it's kind of hard to find parallel themes in other stories. And, and especially things that we haven't already talked about or that will be better served talking about in future chapters and books. Yeah. And so we decided we are going to, uh, to tap out on this one just as CS Lewis and Reaper cheap are doing, uh, and have no further up and further in, because let's be real. We're all done. We're ready for this to be over. And, uh, if it takes us just swimming eastward until the end of this podcast, we'll do it. Yeah, but if you're ready to swim until you drown, you can do so by finding this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also uh, follow us on Instagram at Chronicles of Podcasts, where you can see when we post new episodes and interact with us there. Uh, yeah, it's it's been it's been a long a long boat ride, and uh, you know. Let's uh, let's end this one with a smile and a wink, letting you know that when we come back and we've broken the enchantment of this book, we'd love to, to take you on a podcast date. Which just means re-listening to the whole podcast. Yeah, we, we need the we need the listens and the downloads. Yeah. Want to just say screw it and not do further up and further ends for this chapter? I'm okay with that, honestly. I just I mean, be like, we can hey, just say honestly, not enough happened in this chapter that we felt like. I'm fine it, with that. 